Welcome to Save That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also joining us, Jed Burr, the director of Mission USA Productions. Yes! Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Meh. <laughs> yeah, it feels. There's enthusiasm, apathy, and burping. Yeah. Which are the main three emotions we exhibit here on the show. Uh, let, me, so let me tell you what. This uh, coconut water is not kicking in yet. No. I don't feel like the energy. You're supposed to feel like a buzz of energy. Does that have properties? Like the you have the fish oil with the omegas. Does that does the coconut water have properties? The, well, yeah, it's a real coconut in it. it. It's, you know what? It's not, whatever it's supposed to be doing, it's not doing it. You know what I mean? Because I kind of want it to just blow my mind. Right. right. You know, like you drink it, it's like, whoa. Like, I'll you need a four-point safety yeah. harness for this beverage. Right. Uh, Did you buy this coconut water from an old-timey guy off the back of a cart, by any chance? <laughs> yeah, no. Was he selling you, other sir. tonics? <laughs> yeah. Good for what ails you. Here's what I'm saying, man. You know, the fish oil is not doing it for me. No? No. Wow. I mean, it, uh, you developed an wow. immunity to fish oil? That's exactly what happened. You know, I, because, I, I, uh, you know, faithful listeners of this podcast know I was doing the fish oil for a while. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the original idea was. I just like the idea of having, you know, oil from fish inside of me. Well, you thought sure. that's how Aquaman got his start, and we had to explain that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I went to the health food store because we got one of those in our little neighborhood. And I said, Hey, uh, fish oil, you know, and they showed me the aisle where it was at. And one of them said, wild Alaskan cod oil. Whoa. And I was like, wild. Yeah. That's, that's the one that I want. And she's like, well, actually this, this other has more uh, omega threes or whatever it was. And you said, shh. I said, uh, uh, wild. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is wild cod right here. I mean, they're in the wild. That's what I need inside of me. Yeah, that's why you're not allowed to say yes anymore. I found my thing. But, I did, you know, for a while it was like, it was. Then you felt it, pretty wild. Yeah, and it just wore off. Okay. okay. So it's not doing it for me. Yes. I, I I thought coconut water was going to. when That was going to be your new fish bill. Yeah, it was going kick, to kick it up a notch. If anything, it's a step down. Dude. Well, wow. Let's check. Are those wild coconuts? You know what I'm looking. Uh, yeah, you have to hunt them yourself. <laughs> the, There's a picture on the bottle of a guy spearing coconuts. It well, seems very overneeded. It, it claims to have lime juice in it, also from the Andes. Ooh, well that that's pretty cool. That doesn't sound right at all. So I'm I'm dealing with a lot. Well, Glenn, the good news is I think I have something that's going to perk you right up. Oh. How about a little dose of vitamin emergency? Ooh. <laughs> That's right. I love a good emergency. And we've got a humdinger. This comes in from Superfan, our friend from Indonesia, Miss Guinevere, who occasionally, and we appreciate this fine people of the internet, uh, people will see something that is so crazy from Christian nonsense, their only re- recourse, their only action can be to send a link to us on Twitter with nothing but our handles, the said link, and something along the lines of either a question mark or a shrug emoji. Yeah. Right. And that's just as it should be. Yeah. yeah. 
And we've brought you over the years on this podcast, we brought you some fine Christian movie schlock. Yeah, we have. We've uh, from with the dating apps and, you know, what was it? The Christian mingle, the movie. And uh, God's not dead. What was two the and one, three? What was the one with the, the 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 pastor that was fixing the boiler in the church? Yeah, dude, I don't actually remember the remember, name of that. Remember that one? Yeah, Definitely. that was a, like, that like was that. a God's Not Dead sequel. Was it? Yeah, because it's the dude who co-owns uh, Pure Flicks, who plays the pastor in all those movies, and right? Just, just walking out, rubbing on, rubbing the grease off his hands. Yeah, and... like that would ever happen, dude. <laughs> that's a that's the biggest fiction. Oh, I'm just. Oh, I just happen to be the guy doing building maintenance. Oh, and I'm also the pastor. Oh, yeah. Sure, well, we had somebody, it was like in the trailer, because that literally was the scene. The guy was like, right. hey, janitor, guy right. fixing the boiler, doing, you know where the pastor is? Right. So, as a matter of fact, I am the pastor. <laughs> like, wow. dude, I mean, you got to get somewhere close to the realm of reality on these things. Well, given that, I bring you our, our latest, and it's on the same line. It has the term pastor right in the title. Okay. The title is the 2018 movie, The Pastor and the Pro. Okay. Okay. Maybe like a golf pro. He takes up a nice, you know, a new hobby and he yeah. goes to the club. He wants to learn and kind of gets, right. you know. That's it. Yeah. It works on his swing and the whole well, thing. There could be going to clubs involved, but not in that way. Mm. Let's mm. find out. Um, this is, uh, I, I read the plot summary directly from the internet movie database. Mm. A young single pastor needs a date quick for a big church dinner. So he hires a prostitute to accompany him. Oh, oh, gosh. But he, as she becomes more entangled in his life, her demands become more outrageous. Now he must navigate a moral minefield as he uses the unholy alliance to advance his ministry career. And things get more complicated when he starts to fall in love with her. A comedy about people who desperately want to convert each other. Okay. Please allow me to be the first one to fire down on this. Please do. Rock out. Because I, I can imagine a number of ways this movie be relatively entertaining. They might be able to squeeze some Christian content into it, all of that, which is not true for some of these other uh, you know, I, movie ideas. Well, they're entertaining just, in a way, but not the way they intend. Right, sort of you know, self-indulgent. But here's the thing. This is a single male pastor. Yup. Who can't find a date for something. Yep. So he doesn't ask a single Christian woman out. Oh, on heavens date, no. Because apparently there aren't any in the world of well, this movie. Well, I'm glad you bring that up as your first point because unlike the pastor who is fixing the boiler, I think this strikes an, un- an unpleasant note of realism. Right. <laughs> There's a Christian dude, young uh-huh. dude, thinking, oh crap, I got, I got to have a date for the thing. And right. nowhere does he think uh-huh. I should ask out a non a non sex worker. That's the right. only thing that, that occurs to him. The only thing, the only that way could out possibly of this work. Commerce must be involved. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The, 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 I have major problems with that. Okay, go on. Uh, Are your problems that it stings too much because of the reality? Definitely. Then, rather than say so he, he he hires the the prostitute to pretend to be a girlfriend to him rather than just, you know, going out and finding a girl to date and having her be his girlfriend. Well, and if I can uh, proctor a- another side of that, same thing, uh, super creepy that there's a church dinner where somebody's like, we expect you to bring a lady. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're like, no. Right. 
Yeah, this, that's real creepy, Agnes. Why don't you keep that to yourself? Yeah, you you aren't required to have a date for most <laughs> Christian so functions at this point. Uh, but then then you have then he falls in love with the prostitute rather than saying, "Well, thank you, Miss Lady." For this has been a lovely. It's evening. It's been a lovely evening. I think we all learned a lot about life and ourselves and. God bless you and good day, madam. And I it, literally and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know maybe uh, you know consider a change in employment and so on and so forth. That okay, that's the thing. And then they become friends, and then then the witnessing happens. That 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 I can see that. Sure. Okay. But rather than ha- sending her on her way, and then finding. At that point, a Christian woman that he actually acts out on a date and falls in love with, he just goes ahead and sticks it out when the prostitute tries to make a go of this thing. Yes. This is sadness on top of sadness. And I don't know, if you're a Christian woman, I don't know how you hear this without being pretty seriously offended. I mean, a single Christian woman is what I mean. You know, I also think there's the, there's the you know outdated, antiquated idea of you can't actually show up to this party without bringing a date. That doesn't exist anymore. So it, it seems like if they're going to make these movies, I think they should go full like period piece. Yeah, you know, like yeah, make it back in the whatevers. You know, the uh, the Victorian pastor of the parish who has to bring a date to the whatever ball, and then the guy that's trying to fix like the steam engine boiler. Right. You know, in the basement of the the building. Right. That's right. Yeah. That that w- uh, it, here's the funny thing is the romantic themes in an accurate period piece would be way more romantic than any of this stuff that we're talking about. That's undoubtedly true. What you mean like cholera? <laughs> <laughs> let me, let I mean I may not fully understand romance. Let me tell you what uh that that's like that show Poldark. Okay. That's the show. If you haven't heard of it, look it yeah, up. Yeah, it's on like the, the Poldark. Poldark. That's that's the show, man. That's a period piece set in in the in it's got like themes and issues and circumstances and stuff. Well, I but here's all the thing. Things. Here's the thing, Glenn. With the Poldark, the you know the guy likes a girl. He just says it. This is the this right. is the thing that we're missing here. Is hey. I like you. I don't care what anybody else thinks about it. I want you to be my girl. That's what I'm talking about. And, uh, this Let's, is we have we, we this is gone now. That's over. Poldark needs to get up in this cuz you got the redhead, she's got the dog, everything, and we you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like boom, romance. It just yes. happens, you know what I mean? This is what this is what we need out there is people got we we have broken this thing. Yes. We got to regroup here people. Yes. You can't just hire prostitutes to deal with your dating issues. <laughs> yes. I did not think I would need to say that out loud to Christians. <laughs> right. 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 Do not hire a prostitute. Just ask somebody out on a date, please, for the love of Jesus. Just ask somebody out on a date like a person like just like a human being, I would like to get a cup of coffee with you and not get married. That's all. Just coffee. That's it. No prostitutes involved. That's it. Bye. Okay. Thank you. Matt, we're losing Glenn. We're losing him. He's yeah, gonna he, fully he's unravel. Gonna... Well, this is not gonna help, but I'll enjoy it. I've I'm on the Internet Movie Database here. Okay. And I found um, 
this gentleman, there's the same guy who wrote, directed, and produced this. Okay. Um, the only thing under his bio, if you go on IMDb, is uh, graduated from, insert name of Christian College here. Oh. Would you like to hear about his uh, last major motion picture? I'd love to. This is uh, from 2014. So he takes okay. his time in between, which is good. It is titled The Virgins. Okay. Plot summary is as follows. That is, is that virgins as in convergence? No. As is in that virgin, virgin as in multiple. Virgin, okay. The virgins, oh. as in to make much of time. A comedy about a young Christian couple who have a wild adventure on their wedding night as one surprise after another foils their attempt to consummate the marriage. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of period pieces, there is a motion picture made in the year of our Lord 2014. The elevator pitch to which involved the word consummate. Okay, and how wow. two young Christians apparently just couldn't figure it out. Wow, dude. <laughs> I mean, come on, people. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a time for wacky hijinks. Yeah. And the time between I do and doing is not that. Right. It's a fairly straightforward procedure. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. People, everybody take a knee. <laughs> okay, look. We tr- we we we've gone completely haywacky in this dating arena. We're do we're doing a do over. That's it. Everything before now, we're scrapping it. We're just doing a do over. Here's what it is: if you like somebody's opposite sex, you're both uh, grown, adult, and consenting. You say, "Would you like to get a cup of coffee and talk about things and get to know each other? Maybe we like each other. Romance happens, and then kissing, and then marrying, then babies." Very important the order there. Yeah. What if you say, would you like to get a cup of coffee? And they go, no, I hate you. You're the worst person in the world. Well, it's a great question because sometimes that happens. Sure. Never. Okay. But <laughs> if it were to happen, you would, you would maybe one of the things you can do just to prepare yourself for right. that is you could have like a list of mental health facilities <laughs> in your pocket. Say any of these would serve someone with whatever disorder you have. Okay. Have it laminated, sure, you know, yes. and then you could just hand that to the kind of person. a quick access card. Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, but then if they say, yes, I would let, like to get a cup of coffee, does this mean we're about to get married? You, you say, actually, no. Yes. Because this is what we're calling dating, yes. where we get to know one another, and then we see what happens. It's a different word for marriage for exactly that reason. That's right. So uh, th- that's why we're here to help. Uh, so let's well, let's let's uh, let's make movies that help. How about that? I'm not sure that uh, healthy dating relationship. The movie is going to have quite the uh, the twists and turns. Let me tell you what need. it would to to people these days that would that would look like some bizarre other planet from That's the one true. that they're living on. A bit of speculative horror called. Asking them out <laughs> in a world where people who are interested in people say that out loud. <laughs> and also watch that Paul Dark and take notes. Yes. That dude's on it. He knows how it goes down. Uh, I've, I've not uh, seen the Paul Dark. I've only seen the ads. Yeah. And based on that, the only note is have abs. It, well, basically, you, you know what the, those bodice rippers are? <laughs> yes. It's a, a bodice ripper for those who aren't familiar. It's like the romance novels where there's like a guy in the front. Fabio like, comes to mind. Yeah, he's like has the hair and yeah. everything. The woman's like swooning and yes. he's catching her yeah. and like that. We need to bring back swooning. Yeah, yeah totally. absolutely. 
so that it's like a, a a TV show that is the version of that. Okay. And Poldark is the main guy. Right. And he's all about it, man. There's well, all kinds of swooning in the Poldark. They're and swooning. A public television version of a bodice ripper, we're saying, is closer to Christianity yeah. than whatever this is. Correct. Yep. And Clearly. with that undeniably true statement, I declare emergency off. Yes. And in many ways, I think uh, we consider Bridgebox the bodice ripper of online Christian <laughs> oh media. Oh, my God. Oh, well wow. done. And I don't know what it means, but it sounded right. It well, feels true. Definitely not look it up. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of these we- one of these weeks, one of these months, we'll have a bridge box header image that is just Glenn painted, but with the long swoopy hair. Yeah. The open right. shirt. Yeah. And the whole thing. But for this month, for if we're coming into December, we're talking about prayer. That's great stuff. You'll get uh, sermons that Glenn and I both preached at the bridge. You get songs from Jed, from Lee, from the Pool House Guru, from some other. Very talented friends. You have some Bible studies. All sorts of great stuff on prayer. MissionUSA.com slash BridgeBox. Only $8 a month. It is the number one and best way that folks who like the podcast help out what we're doing up here in Chicago and what Lee's doing down there with folks in Tennessee. All right. We're going to go to first quest- our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch. The first question says, you guys talk about how toxic church culture can be, but every church has a culture, right? What is the difference between just the way we do things and the quote-unquote, church culture, that is harmful. And a great question. We will point out that we love follow-ups. We, we love yeah. people want us to dig in more. That's always welcome on the show. So, Glenn, where would we start with this? Well, yeah, first and foremost, when we're talking about church culture, there's there's some of it that's absolutely good stuff, you know, fantastic uh, uh, ways of doing things as a denomination or as an individual church that are fantastic, really cool traditions. <laughs> Uh, the church that we meet in on Tuesday, that the graciously allows us to use their space on Tuesday, is Bethel Lutheran Church here in Chicago. And one of the things they developed as a culture is they decided culturally we are going to call ourselves the friendliest church on earth. And they wrote a song called Welcome to Bethel, and when new people come, they, they stand up and introduce themselves and everything, and then the whole congregation sings the song to them. Uh, welcome to Bethel. And any Bethel people listening now, have, to this right now is that be the actual tune? That's the okay. actual tune. Deal with it. Okay. That's church culture. But it's amazing. That's fantastic. Sure. I mean, do that. I mean, that's... that's. I mean, don't do that wonderful. if I'm there, but right. in general, that's do right. that. Yeah, you know, this is this is really good stuff. So it can be good. There's plenty of it that's neutral. It's not, it's not super important. It's not helping anything, but it's not hurting anything either. You know, if it's... Uh, you know the, the different uh, decorations in the church, or those kind of things. It's just just basic stuff. It's it's neither here nor there. Uh, and then there is some stuff, as as you point out, that that is toxic, can be toxic, uh, and what have you. So there's a variation. So we're not we're, we certainly don't want to paint with a broad brush and say it's all all church uh, culture is bad in some sort of way. What we definitely are saying, however, is that none of it is sacred. None yeah. of it is holy. None of it is co-equal with Scripture. All of it is on the chopping block. If it needs to go, it goes. Well, that's right. absolutely right and to build in a point there. It also, all that exists on a continuum. There's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff mm-hmm. we would uh, classify as church nonsense yeah. that is not toxic. Right. It's just kind of nonsense. We don't that's need right. it 
yeah. generally make anything better, but it's different. That's different than toxicity. That's definitely true. And you know, on this show, you can. It may be good for us to point that out because what we've seen in ministry is the more you strip away the nonsense, the more ministry you have. You're putting nonsense in there to make the ministry better, and roughly 100 percent of the time, it backfires on you. The more production value and 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 funding games and gimmicks and tricks lasers laser beams smoke fog machines all that that's making it worse almost a hundred percent of the time though we did uh concoct an idea uh, at our pre-bridge meeting on tuesday that maybe next week just so jed can get the full worship leader experience uh glenn is going to buy two laser pointer pins yeah yes and just kind of crisscross them in jed's <laughs> face during the worship that was set. an actual thing we were talking about but yeah this is a th- if you come to our bridge service on tuesday it is the most stripped-down thing you've ever seen. Yeah. It's as stripped-down as we can get it. That's exactly right. We're constantly looking at ways of taking more out of it in order to improve it. And uh, so we can talk about stuff that's unnecessary and maybe silly that's in there in a really negative way only because it'd be better if you didn't have it, and, and that's that. you're trying to use this to make it better, and it's actually making it worse. Um but it's it's recon- we we need to recognize that to the extent that church culture does not when it does not fit with all scripture it needs to be on that chopping block ready to go yeah yeah doesn't mean it has to go today it means if this is taking us down one road and the lord is leading us down another in his word it needs to go we don't need to compromise we don't need to figure out a way to make that work uh, the same thing, and this is super, super important. Write this down, memorize it, have it on the front of your mind. Any church culture that interferes with or hinders any unbeliever from becoming a believer, that has got to go. And you have to yeah. have a sense of holding on to these things loosely and being willing to let go of them. Uh, Jed and I were in the Office of a, a, a of a highly placed person in a highly uh, a very large denomination. We won't mention the name of it. And we were talking about these kinds of things. We were talking about church culture, and we were and I'm I'm saying you have this church in a inner city neighborhood. It's a great church, great people. And people want to come to it. They get there. Everybody's dressed up. Well, if you don't have the clothes to dress nice, you're not going to feel comfortable there. And to be clear, no one in this neighborhood has the clothes to dress that Absolutely way. Absolutely nobody in this neighborhood has the clothes to dress up. So so uh, it, it, what, I think the response was really cool. The response was, um, well, of course, we tell people they, can, they, they don't have to dress up. And then almost literally in the same breath, it was, but of course— Everybody dresses up anyway, you know, so no one will dress down even though we tell them that that we can. Well, there was a guy who, and this is very generous, offered to take people who came to the church and weren't dressed up very nice to go and get clothes from his own closet and give them nice clothes to wear. As in he's pulling the tie off his own neck. Right. Saying, you have this, I'll just go get another tie next week. Right. Now, this is an attempt to try and take a jacked up church culture that does uh, why are we all dressing up i can't tell you there's not any word in the bible about that now people are coming <laughs> and feeling uncomfortable the the idea of dressing up should be long gone by this yeah, point and i'm yeah. making this clear to to this guy in the denomination the idea that we're trying to make this 
jacked up church culture work by saying, oh, you'll be approved of by us once you put this strip of cloth around your neck. And that we're, we're treating that as if it's a smart idea rather than saying, everybody out of the pool, nobody come dressed up next week because it's, it, it's just making people feel uncomfortable. And that having people come into church and feel uncomfortable, that's more important mm-hmm. than any nonsense that you human beings have made up and decided we need to do. That's the that's difference right. between ministry and church culture and, and understanding where one needs to yield to the other. That's a great, great place to start yeah. that off. And Jed, let me pick us up here. Because as, as Glenn is absolutely right in pointing out, um, it hel- it's a very helpful place to start off defining church culture mm. and knowing what that is as opposed to um, uh, doctrinal foundations as opposed to things that are in Scripture because we have to know what box to put this stuff in. So let's move on to the idea of toxicity because yeah. as, as Glenn's pointing out, um, every ch- and as our question has point is, every church has culture stuff. Right. And it may also help us to differentiate when we say that term, that, as Glenn's pointing out, there's an individual uh, congregations, church culture. Mm-hmm. There can be regional and denominational and, stu- and kind of socioeconomic church culture. And then there's some of what we discussed, which is kind of all-encompassing, we would say, Western church culture or yeah, American Christian church culture. culture. Christian culture, which, are, which is that. And that's a little out of the purview we're talking about here. But let's look at this idea of toxicity, because as Glenn points out, every church has their little ways. Some of them are helpful. Some of them aren't. Some of them are varying degrees within that. But when we get an idea of, of defining this is a thing to this church that is ingrained in this church and is toxic, as yeah. in, as Glenn points out, someone is, we all dress up necessarily toxic? No, but if if you as someone like it says, okay, this is hurting what we're doing, and a church says, a different than the answer you guys got from that meeting, but someone says, no, we think it's very important to your best for the whatever, that be, has become mm-hmm. toxic because right. it's not helping. So how does someone who's not used to thinking of these kind of ideas go about defining that? That's a great question. So I think the, the easiest place to begin is actually what Jesus said, which is, you know a tree by its fruit. That's the easiest way to look at this. To, to put it in less metaphorical terms, you can judge the toxicity of something by the effect that it has on you and the other people in this situation. Now, the funny thing about something being toxic is... Maybe not all, but an awful lot of forms of toxicity boil down to proportion, right? Uh, My understanding is if you drink enough water, it'll kill you. I mean, you have to drink an insane amount of water to do it, but but it will at a certain point. And there's all kinds of vitamins and nutrients in your body where uh, too little of them is extraordinarily bad for you. Too much of them will also massively hurt you. So there's a proportion that matters. Well, when we're talking about culture and when things become toxic, it's actually proportion is that same thing. So another way, and I agree with everything Glenn said, another way to look at culture is a collection of shared values, things that we deem important and things that we deem unimportant. And, and every culture has that. So um, in, in a lot of Western churches, um, they deem a lot of academic reading to be very important. We, we deem that to be just a very praiseworthy thing. Now, here's the deal is if you like to read, that's cool. There's nothing wrong with it. There's certainly nothing sinful about reading. Um, if you like to read big books with big words in them, that's fine. There's no problem. But as Glenn said, A, that's not sacred. 
In other words, there's yeah. not like an inherent spiritual value to it. That's right out. Um, but the second thing is you can take the reading big books with big words, which is fine, to a place where it starts to have a toxic effect. Because all of a sudden we say, well, the holy people are the people who've read the most big books with the most big words. Well, all of a sudden, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, and any, you know, any godless heathen can read a bunch of big books with big words. That doesn't make you a Christian or a good Christian or a mature Christian. That just means you have a particular taste in literature, man. You know, similarly, we can um, we can downplay things as unimportant and in proportion. That's that's fine. You know, if you go to a large membership church. They might say, uh, look, we don't want to do hymns here because we want to be current. We want to be of the moment. That's that's fine. That's that's It's an aesthetic choice. It's, it's no problem. But if you take that to an extreme, all of a sudden it's, we're really not interested in anything that's happened in Christianity more than about five years ago. That's just, it's boring. It's old hat. There's a phrase somewhere about those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. That's true in church history as well as global history. So the thing about culture is we, again, we have a, a list of things we esteem and a list of things that we kind of, you know, say aren't that valuable. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that, but both can be taken to extremes where they start to have really harmful effects in our lives individually and our lives corporately. In that moment, those things have become toxic. That's that's what we're looking for. And so to go back to what Glenn was saying, really what we're on the lookout for is what's the moment where God's leading as revealed through scripture says, you need to go this direction and our cultural proclivities say, no, you need to go in this other direction. Because every person that's following the Lord is going to have those moments and probably pretty regularly where culture says go left and Jesus says go right. That's that's bound to happen. Where we get into trouble is where we go, couldn't we split the difference? Or maybe, you know what, we'll go with culture this time, but maybe next time we'll think about the Jesus side of it. It's like a rotation. Exactly. And that way, it, it, it'll probably be okay. That's when we really, really have a problem. And to be clear, most of those kind of decisions start small. We don't we don't jump straight to Jesus says I care about the poor, but we want to have a church where it's clear poor people aren't welcome. We we don't generally jump straight to that. It's a lot of little things along the way. It's almost like a little yeast that works through the whole batch of dough. Huh. Which is a thing I just came up with. Oh. Because I'm very, very smart. So I think that's the kind of thing that we want to be on guard for when we talk about uh, church culture and how it becomes toxic. That's a really, really great way to look at that. And Lee, I'd love you to pick it up there as someone who is actually in charge and part of kind of defining and navigating a church's culture, which uh, the three of us up here, we just get to look out. We just get to stand from the outside and throw rocks at churches. Figuratively, for now, we'll see how, you know, if they please us. But uh, so that idea, I think... uh, Jed's absolutely right that this is much in the same way that it's toxicity or not is about proportionality. That's going to have something to do with the way we look at this. As Glenn points out, there is no church on earth who is going to have 0% of what you personally consider nonsense. Um, and especially as there are people, the church is trying to please other people on that. You know, if I go to a church and they sing the welcome song, I'm never coming back because that's, oh my gosh. That doesn't mean the welcome song is bad. It's glitch me out. The welcome song is great. Right. That's, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's welcoming. <laughs> that's what we want to do. But, oh, I don't. Oh, I don't. Oh, I'm friends. I don't think so. But that is not a toxic element. That is something I'm just not 
super it's down with. Yeah, it, it's a preference. So I think some of this is some of the way as Jed described how we get to a church might get to toxicity is looking at their preferences and saying that's righteousness or not. But in the same way, we don't want to do that as individuals. So how do we look at this situation from what a church is trying to do and if it's being helpful or not? I think you have to be willing to ask some of the questions that Glenn and Jed are asking, first of all. You have to be willing to say, uh, is this so jacked up that I need to leave? Um, and am I willing to do that? Some people get into a situation with their church where they have, you know, you got... The, the thing is, is that it, it gets funky because you got relationships in there. And you got people that go there that you really love. Or you got people that you maybe you're called to serve or, or to be a part of their lives in some in some fashion or whatever. So some of this can be difficult and you have to be willing to ask that question. Like if this has become super, super out of bounds in this way or that way, and some of the ways that these guys are talking about, am I ready or willing to walk away from this thing? And then the other side of that is if it's not, if it's, if it's largely like, you know, it's okay. And, uh, you know, am I willing or am I able to look at it and say, there's some stuff about this that I don't like or that I don't think are good. There's some things about the culture that I don't think are really positive or don't fit with my philosophy. But in general, I do think it's healthy. I do think it's sincere. I think that these, I think that people can grow here and I have grown here. And so I think the Lord's calling me to stick it out. I think that's kind of the big question is, is the Lord calling you to, to, to be a part of this community or not? Is this a healthy thing or not? The thing that I would say is, if you determine that it's not, you do need to be willing to walk away, just as these guys are talking about. They've given you some great things to think on that. If you determine that it largely is healthy, one thing that you will find, exactly as Matt's saying, is every church is a mixed bag. They've got some, they've, they've got some stuff that is nonsense. Exactly like Glenn's saying that stuff that that they do, they don't have any defense for it, but they love it. They love it. And the 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 truth is, we would be better served in some of these situations if people were to say, Yeah, there's no reason we do it from the Bible. We just like it. That would be better. Like if they went ahead and said that thing. As as you've heard Glenn and Jed say before on the show, if you've listened for a long time, church people love church stuff. And sometimes it would be great if they just went ahead and admitted that. Like, we just like the stuff. Well, the, the, the phrase is somewhat like that. But in any case, the, the, uh, but it would be great if people just went ahead and admitted that. Some of the stuff needs to be, you know, chucked out and, and rethought. And some of the stuff needs to, you know, needs to be there because it's part of the, the fabric, the philosophy, the family, the way that we do this in this community. One thing I would say is, if the Lord is calling you to hang around, you feel like this is largely healthy. I am fed here. And I feel like I have a place and I have people that I care about, relationships that matter to me, and I'm going to stick it out here. Then I would say the stuff that, that, that you see that may need to go or grow or change, ask the Lord where you fit into that process. Where do you fit into the process of updating or changing or helping people see this from a new perspective? It may be that you're the person that's going to move this ship in the way that it needs to go um, in, in a place that's largely healthy, but to be perfectly honest, has some church nonsense in it, just like any church has funky philosophies, weird little stuff in it and stuff like that. But it may be that you have a, 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 a way to serve in that. I will say this, church culture... When we talk about church culture, it tends to be inward. 
it tends to be a self-propagating thing. Um, the things that we do are things that we do to make sure that this entity keeps going. My boss said a thing one time that I, I really appreciate, and I think it I think it's a really helpful way to look at it, which is that a church should be like an individual Christian should be. When the Apostle Paul talks about an individual Christian, he says, we do not, um, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. Find you a church that does that, and that's a place where you can grow, where you can serve. A place that is generous, a place that is not talking about itself, but a place that wants to serve you, feed you, take care of you. And then... You know, then we can look at some of these cultural things and figure out where do we need to grow, where do we need to change. But that's going to be the kind of healthy place that you're going to want to stick around in. I think it's a great point. One, one thing I'll tack on the end here, just as a, as a as a spare thought, and it's it's worth looking at. Um, as we say, you know, things that every bit of church culture is not necessarily bad, and there's stuff that's we would consider. Eh, I don't know if that's really getting anybody anywhere, but that's different than being toxic and unhealthy. But one thing you can look at if you're looking for kind of an underlying what's this place about is do they ever change anything? Mm -hmm. Because as we point out, every situation is going to have things that are not good and not going to eventually something toxic will come up. And exactly as Lee is pointing out there, does anything ever change? And does anything ever seen as less than critical? Uh, You know, as as to, to use the example of dressing up, people ever say, you know, you're welcome to come as you are. We say that from up front, so we say it. But everybody dresses up. Well, I'm just a pastor. What am I supposed to do about that? That's, nah, you can tell people to take the jacket off. You can do that. No. And it's probably what you say, well, you know, we're in this neighborhood. This is There are uh, communities where dressing up for church is a thing. That's fine, and that's, that's part of what we're doing, so I'm fine with it. That's cool. We might disagree with that, but that's cool. But... Again, if you just say, well, you know, there, there's nothing that can be done. Who could imagine what could bring about change in a church? Or, well, I mean, isn't, doesn't, the, doesn't the word say to bring our first fruits, our first fashion fruits, if you will? Yeah, no, it does not say that. It, it says to give the first fruits of your resource to God. Hmm. It does not say put it on your body and parade yourself around. I think it's actually against that. <laughs> so Gucci, then, that's what I'm hearing. But what if I want to partner with Russell Simmons to open a Christian fashion line called First Fashion Fruits? But they're all spelled with PFs. <laughs> oh, that was excellent. Uh, that's pretty good, right? So that pretty good. So happen. As we're looking at ideas of what, what's a culture here, uh, as all these guys are pointing out, playing whack-a-mole with kind of this is good, this is bad, this I like, this I don't like, there, there are certainly things where if something just pops up on your radar, you think about that, but... If you're saying, I don't, maybe you're checking out a new church, maybe it's a place you're starting to have these ideas about, it's helpful to look at some of the underlying things, and some of those things can certainly be, how do we talk about the way we do things? Mm -hmm. Do we ever correct course? Here's one. How do we talk about the pastor? Mm -hmm. Do we talk about the pastor as if he is a person? Does he talk about himself as a person? Or is he a demigod who brings down the most wizened things from us? And if you don't get it, if you didn't get much of that sermon, is it possible you're just not really educated enough mm. to appreciate pastor's sermon. Maybe yeah. you need to get in there and, right. you know, so there's, there's some things to, to a toxic culture that are a little underlying that you may want to look at. And as ever, if you have a question of, is this that feel free to email us at podcast, gmail.com, get in touch and we'll help you out on that. We're going to jump to our second question here comes in anonymously. And it says, how can I get better at being thankful? Now, as the producer of this show and the man who picks the questions, you may have thought, well, wouldn't you put that on the one before Thanksgiving? 
But no, I wanted you to feel like maybe you didn't do as well as you could have. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or I just forgot what episode I put it on, but you know, one or the other. Uh, but it is, either way, timing independent. It is a fine question, and Jed, why don't you kick us off? All right. Well, it's a great question. It's really, really good. And the reason it's good is twofold. First, um, giving thanks as an action that we engage in is one of the healthiest things we can do for our Christian walk. Yeah. Um, it's so difficult to tempt a thankful person. Um, yeah. And uh, it's... It's so easy to tempt a not thankful person. Yeah, you know? no doubt, man. Uh, if you get uh, unthankful enough, you'll tempt yourself. So, um, it, it, you know, engaging in the giving of thanks is just an incredibly good, incredibly important thing. And uh, the other thing I love about this question is you recognize it's a skill. Um, it's, it's an art form, it's a craft, and so you can get better at it. Uh, and that's great because it's true. The thing that I would start you off with is the idea of focusing on a little and often. Um, and that is, it, it's definitely true with giving thanks, but it's true with a lot of things. A little often is almost always better than a lot every once in a while. Yeah. Here's an example. Um, if you run a mile, you go for a light jog, a mile, three times a week, um, that's the same mileage as simply running a marathon every two months. One of those is dramatically better for you. Right. I mean, dramatically better for you than the other. And hint, it's the easier one. Right. That's the one that's much, much better for you. There's a lot of stuff in life that works that way. We were talking in the last question about drinking water. Sipping water throughout the day is much better than getting to the end of the day and just guzzling a <laughs> gallon of water. One of these is dramatically better for you than the other. Right. Um, but, you know, I think, particularly for Americans, I think we're really resistant to that uh, because yeah. a little and often doesn't feel hardcore. And and we all want to be hardcore. We really do. Our culture just, it, it doesn't want to do anything that's moderate in any way. The problem is it's kind of difficult to be hardcore about giving thanks. I'm not sure I even know what that would look like. Um but, you know, giving thanks is one of those things where um, uh, plenty of folks who are not Christians would, would agree this is an incredibly important part of your life. And there's a lot of good stuff out there that are just practices you can get into. There's people that talk about keeping a gratitude journal, which is a great practice. It's really, really good stuff, particularly around Thanksgiving, the month of November. There's a lot of people with, you know, 30-day gratitude challenges. And, you know, this day, you know, think of, you know, a pet that you've been thankful for and write down a memory about that. And it's great. Those are really, if you don't know what else to do, those are actually great exercises. But here's the funny thing is, honestly, most of those you can do in about five minutes. I mean, you could spend more time if you wanted to, but um, I honestly, if you're keeping a gratitude journal, by the time you've done ten minutes of it, you've 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 pretty much done it. And yeah, I think for a lot of people, it feel like, well, what difference does that make? I you know, I want something where like I'm maxing it out for like a three hour session, and then I'm just I'm just riding that wave for a while. I want to find a way to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I want to weep with gratitude. Is that possible? Right. So real. Right. That's actually not a good goal. The, yeah. the five minutes a day of just being focused and counting your blessings and, and remembering that the Lord has been good to you is going to be super good for you and infinitely better for you than trying to have the equivalent of a gratitude marathon every two months. Um, a little and often, <laughs> that's the place to begin. That's what we want for you. That's the good stuff. A gratitude-nathon, if you will. 
that's all a really great place to start. And Lee, I'd love you to pick up this thread that Jed is laying down here, which I think is super important about intentionality. One of the things to be saying, you know, do the yeah. little thing. One of the things that's important about that is if you do it on a, on the daily is you making a practice that will have some big results, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's neuroscience behind that, actually. It, it, the idea of intentional reps, I, I love the way that Jed said this, just that it's the it's it's small and often. That's fantastic because uh, you know, getting the intentional reps of just being thankful, it actually will change the way that you think. That's what that's what neuroscience teaches us. Actually, psychologists say that when your mind wanders, it almost always wanders into negative thinking. That's, that's kind of where your mind wandering goes. And what the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament is that we need to take our thoughts captive. That in, in the Greek language, that's an extremely forceful word. It's an extremely intentional word. It's actually the exact same word that they used when they talked about arresting Jesus. It's, it's the word that means to arrest. You're, it's like your thoughts are out there running around committing crimes against your emotional self. And you need to arrest them and say, you know, who goes there? You 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 are detained now. Um, you, you can't you can't wander off into this negative stuff or whatever anymore. I'm going to redirect these thoughts. I'm going to take control of it, focusing them exactly as Jed said into gratitude. Um, it's it is a uh, and and the way that you do that is small stuff. To be perfectly honest with you, that's that's how I do it. For me, I, I'm the kind of learner that it helps me to visually see something and to participate in something physically. And so I have exactly like Jed's talking about. I got a little book with blank paper in it and I it's the first prayer I have on any day. Before I do anything or hang out with anybody, I have some time that's just me and the Lord where I'm telling him specifically and it's not a million things. It's like five things that I'm actually thankful for. I take some time for reflection, just a couple of minutes, and then the first thing that comes into my head, I say thank you for it, and I'm thankful for it. And that is what neuroscientists tell us is that does actually cut a new groove into your thought patterns, because naturally, that when, you're, when your thoughts run, they run into negative ways. But you can retrain and teach your brain to think in a different way, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was saying ages before anybody knew what, you know anything about neuroscience or anything like that. He said, you have to, we got to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Um, this is, this is what we want to do. And I'll tell you, for me, it's been exactly as Jed started out by saying, it's one of the most healthy things you can do. To me, it is the most, um, dynamic agent for change is gratitude to, to, to learn how to get better at this to, to grow in your ability to be to be thankful and grateful, that is it's it's making one of the biggest impacts on my personal self, my personal life than just about anything else. And it's I think I can safely say that's true for all of us in the podcast, and that's all very good stuff. And Glenn, let's let's look at the the other side of this here. And this not I don't mean the negatives of gratitude. That's not <laughs> what I mean by the other side. The right. other side of this process, I would say, these guys are absolutely right that. It's uh, gratitude is something you have to practice, 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 and get mm-hmm. that way of doing it, and that's going to feel better immediately. For sure. But I think one of the things we, way we groove in these new patterns, as Lee's talking about, is when we recognize and catalog the benefits on that other side. Exactly. And I th- maybe it'll it will help folks to be what to know to be on the lookout for. How is gratitude going to make your life better? Uh, that's a great way of looking at it. If you if you think of a person who's exercising 
you, you're going to have more energy. If you're dieting, you're going to feel more healthy in your body. Your clothes are fit better. And there are benefits to these things. Uh, and, and seeing those benefits and focusing on those benefits really do help continue to motivate you and, and so forth. The thing that thankfulness does is it opens the door. It's it, it, uh, Lisa is a catalyst for change. I think is a perfect way of looking at that. So let me take three different virtues, uh, and you could do this with all of them. It, you know, virtues are uh, aspects of God's character that He has that we don't. So we ask Him for those things. We don't have peace. God has peace. We ask for peace. We receive peace. We, you know, we don't have uh, grace. And patience, we ask God for patience and grace and all these different kind of things. Those are virtues. So if I took three different virtues, I'm going to tell you how thankfulness relates to those. It, it would work for any of them, but we're just going to pick three. Uh, so let's say wisdom. We're going to start with that. Well, what do the wisdom and thankfulness have to do with each other? It seemed like on two different planets. Okay, if I sit down and I say, I'm going to name 10 things I'm thankful for, all of a sudden, I'm starting to see my life in a different light, right? You start saying, well, I guess this is going pretty good. And, you know, um, uh, you know, we were talking, uh, myself and uh, Pete Lawson from our staff, we are doing some ministry at a, a prison facility, and uh, the administration's kind of uh, not being super cooperative right now. We're looking at maybe shifting to a different facility, and it's a tough decision. We looked at it, and finally, there were, at some point, we kind of came back and said, well, you know, we had a really good run there, so let's just be thankful for that and right. have a really good run somewhere else if that's what it needs to be. Uh, all of a sudden, that gave us a whole different way of looking at the situation, mm. different perspective. Perspective opens us up to receiving the wisdom that we need. So thankfulness got me to a place of receiving that understanding and getting into that wisdom that God's given me. I'm going to pick a totally different virtue now, humility. If you say, God, I thank you for this thing you did, this thing you did, this other thing you did, another thing that you did, you realize God's doing a lot. And God's mm. the, the one who's in control and fixing things and changing me. And it's really all about God and it's not all about me. And let God be God and let me be still and let me just worship him and let him... This is a humble state of mind. I don't think it's all about uh, uh, my image and my ego and everyone, my achievements and all those different kinds of things. So thankfulness got my brain into a way of thinking where I'm able to receive humility. I'm in a humble state of mind all of a sudden. I'm yeah. going to pick another virtue, totally unrelated. Okay, peace, right? Now, what does thankfulness have to do with peace? Well, think about... Uh, the a frustrated person, they're on the verge of backsliding, and they sit down and say, "God, I'm thankful for this." And you know, my situation really stinks, but you did always do this for me, and you did always do this. The stress and the frustration is is peeling away. It all of a sudden, it's being sort of crowded out by all these things that are good things that I'm not paying attention to, rather than the negative things crowding out all the, the positive. So I'm, I'm shifting that balance, and all of a sudden that balance is creating a much more peaceful state of mind. I'm ready to receive, like, yeah, I'm, I'm just overly stressed about this. It's renting out too much space in my head. I need to get rid of it so I can have more peace. So these are totally different virtues, but thankfulness unlocked all of them. 
That's a very powerful thing. So that's why when we talk about the, the importance of, of thankfulness, it really kind of keys in with all these other virtues. I think that's all really fantastic stuff from all these guys. I, I will tack on one little extra thing here, which is as you start to do this to kind of get in that discipline, as, as Lee and Jed are talking about, see the benefits, as, as Glenn is talking about, you will get better at it in this particular way. And it's, it's very, very valuable one to me is you will start to recognize those moments where you are getting ready to choose thankfulness or choose not that. And it will catch because again, it sounds like a very uh, churchy kind of preachery thing to say. It's the kind of thing we actively avoid ever saying from the stage of the bridge, but the, phrase, the thing that is true is thankfulness is a choice. Um, and it's, it's, it has an emotional aspect. So there's, or it can be, tempting to think of I'm just being swept away and I'm having this terrible day and this is all uh, snowballing. It almost always starts snowballing when you decide that this is the worst thing ever and this is how this is going to go. Um, it's a very small uh, example. I was recently uh, catching uh, the train here in Chicago to to go do some, do some errands kind of downtown. And it's one of those things of it's my day off and uh, it's, it's pretty cold outside and, you know, whatever the train that's supposed to be here goes by, but it's not in service. So I got to wait, whatever it is, 10 minutes to the next one. You could feel on this platform, everyone decide their day was ruined. And it's that kind of black cloud where I started going, man, I'm going to do this. And I gotta do and there's a moment of it's my day off. Don't have any deadlines. It's $3 for this train ride. That's going to take me downtown, which means I don't have to park, which means I don't have to deal with traffic. There's a lot of there's some annoying things about this situation. Thankfulness is not annoying, isn't ignoring those, but there's a lot of good in the general. So I kind of get to decide which one I'm going to let inform my emotional state currently. Now, certainly there are big big issues where we don't we're not saying be thankful for you know when someone uh, runs over your foot. That's that leans into to go to the previous discussion. That leans a little too far into nonsense, but. In general, you're going to find a lot of little things in your day-to-day that you can choose, you kind of get to choose whether you see this situation as a chance to be thankful or as an obstacle to that. And as you do it more and get kind of used to it, as Glenn's pointing out, you're going to want to go for thankfulness and that's going to build some momentum. We're going to move to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, Matthew 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But obviously, we don't get every single thing we ask God for. So what does this mean? It's a great question. And Lee, why don't you kick us off? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one thing I can say, as somebody who grew up (laughs) in a lot of church and has heard a ton of different sermons on this verse and verses like it, um, I don't know. I've heard all kinds of verses where somebody, you know, figures out the way to close all the loopholes and cross the T's and dot the I's and everything. If you do it just right, you hold your face right, you know, that whole thing, then you can kind of get whatever you prayed for or whatever. That has never worked for me. Um, I have, there are things that I've prayed for that I have not gotten. Um, But as I look at these verses, um, the thing that, the thing that, I'm kind of learning about prayer in my own life is I'm feeling a constant invitation from Jesus for more and deeper relationship. That that's kind of the end of prayer. That's where this is going is more deeper, more dynamic relationship. Um, in the context of these verses, if you just keep on reading past the verse that, that you wrote in about, Jesus starts talking about God as a dad. He talks about God's parenting and how God's parenting relates to and then differs from our human parenting. 
And, and there again, I see Jesus inviting us into this relationship. He's saying like, think about the way that you parent your kids. Now that's how God wants to be with you. He wants to be the first place you go when you skin your knee or when you need some help or you need some money. This is what God wants to be in your life. He wants to be the place that you go. Um, and and I think about my my own kids, and there's sometimes when my kids ask me for something, and the thing that they ask for is so much smaller than the thing that I would love to give them. And the thing is, they get hung up on that small thing that they're asking for, like, you know, can we can we go across town and get you know some donuts or whatever? But it's like, oh man, you know, mom and I wanted to take you to this amusement park today, and you're so hung up on the donuts, which by the way, at the amusement park they have the donuts, they've they've got that stuff there. We have a bigger plan. We've got a bigger version of this thing. Um, just the, the idea that, that, that what prayer is doing is that it's an invitation into a relationship. It's not, it's not like an incantation. You say these words, you get these things. It's deeper than that. Uh, it's bigger than that. And God has a, has a bigger version or vision of my life than that. And, and he wants to be my dad. He wants to parent me. And he wants to invite me into a deeper version of that relationship. It's a fantastic place to start that off. It really is. And Glenn, where would you take us from there? Well, uh, just building what Lee is talking about there, uh, let's ask this question, um, you know, in the vein of what if we got what we asked for? Let's Let's just picture this world. Everything that you ever asked God for, you got it. And you got it exactly when you asked for it. Really think about that. The way you asked for it. The way you asked for it. Your your idea of what you should have, what would be good for you, what would make you happy, you prayed for it. What if all of it had... Some of it would be great, some would be fine. Some of it. Some of it would be a disaster. And I, believe me, I know... There are so many things that I've asked God for that I was certain was holy and righteous and perfect, and couldn't there couldn't be any reason why this wouldn't happen. And then I have found out that was the wrong thing to ask for and would have been a disaster if I'd gotten it. I'm sure that's true for everybody that's listening to this. It doesn't take a lot of humility to say, yeah, I've asked for things. If I got it, it would be bad. Okay, so fair enough then. But what you're then saying to me is you are asking God for things that you want him to give you that you also don't want him to give you. Now, I think the important thing is to lean into that dichotomy within yourself, because we play this out like it's a wrestling match between you and God. I want it. He won't give it to me. I want it. He won't give it to me. It's a tension. Who can know what to think about all this? You want stuff, but you also don't want him to give you stuff that you shouldn't have that would ruin everything, but you still also want it anyway. That's fine. It's weird. It's uh, it's a little crazy, but that's fine. It's okay to go to God and say, I want this. Probably I shouldn't, but I want it really bad. And if I shouldn't have it, don't give it to me, but still give it to me. But just like give it to me, but then like make it work out anyway. And then that's crazy, and so no, just whatever you think. That's a good prayer. That I mean, it was a journey. We went to we highs, went, lows, sideways. Yeah, we went, we went through a lot of you know crazy territory to get there, but we landed on the right thing, and that's what that's what counts. That's effective prayer life. 
you know, it, it's about having this this realization that you are torn within yourself, that you are conflicted about what it is that you want. And uh, we have a way of wanting something, as Lee was suggesting with, with the kids, where you get target lock on that and nobody can offer you anything else, even something better. Sometimes it's about recognizing uh, that your your thinking is small. It's it's a little flawed. It's a little bit off. And having that mindset of, you know, God, I do want this, and I need to express that, and I need to talk about why I want it. But I also need to acknowledge any idea I have. Most ideas I have are smaller and less informed and whatever than what you want from me. Uh, so. If I can ask for things, then set that aside, then I can ask for my mind to be changed. And that's what I really need. I, I, I want to be able to go to God and, and express the things that I want and vent that out. I have to get that out of my system. That's just the way I'm wired. I have to be able to say, I want you to smite this person, Jesus, and squash them. And it would be so good. And I have to make my case. And it's like, eh, you know, but you didn't squash me when I deserve it. So, you know, you know, whatever. Think about it. But if that's the wrong thing, don't do it. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I need you to change me, Lord, because I'm clearly too wound up on this. I'm too focused on it. I can't get off this page. And I really need you to help me with that. I need a change. I I need to let you handle this. I need to be on the stuff that you want me to be on rather than getting you on the stuff that I'm on. And so just by getting to that point where you're saying, Lord, change me, change my way of thinking, change my heart, What? It, of course, he's going to honor that prayer. That's a great prayer. That's, that's the prayer that God wants to hear. But what's going to happen is as you change, your desires change to be more like what God wants for you. So you desire the things that God wants for you, and if you want the things that God wants for you, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get that thing. That's what the Bible's trying to tell you, is that when your heart is where God's heart is at, things are going to work out. You're going to receive those things that you're praying for because your desires have been brought around to the things that God wants for you and is already planning on giving to you. And it's a really, really good point. And Jed, maybe we can close out looking at the idea of the the larger picture is going to point it out for us. Yeah. It's, it's not going to really, it's not going to lead anywhere good, it, aside from whether or not it's what this verse is saying, to kind of keep the ask for A, didn't get A, ask for B, got B, you know, on down the line. But to look at this in a little more of a, a holistic way, how does that affect what we're looking for when we think about asking, seeking, and knocking? That's a great question. Well, I think we need to look at one aside quickly, because whenever Christians talk about prayer and why does God answer some prayers and some not, um, we inevitably uh, have people who are listening to that discussion and sometimes participating in it who have had uh, people that they care about in their lives who have gotten sick, and they prayed for that sick person, and that sick person did not get better. And then they prayed more, and that sick person got worse— and then they prayed more, and they fasted, and they wore sackcloth, and then that person they cared about died. And so we're left with the thing of, does God hate me? Does God hate this person that I cared about? Did I pray wrong? Did I, have, did I not have enough faith? Did I say the wrong words? What is this? And unfortunately, there are a lot of places out there that would call themselves churches that 
would try and take advantage of you in that moment and, and tell you, yes, you, you did not have enough faith and that's why this happened and you are naughty and that's what we're dealing with. All that is nonsense. God is in heaven. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. God does whatever pleases him. He takes people home when he chooses to. Uh, that will be true for me at some point. That will be true for all of us. Um, the key thing is, if you're dealing with the loss of someone you care about, we're sorry. We love you. Uh, we're, we're with you in the midst of that grief. Um, um, your prayers, how exactly God uh, responded to your prayers is above my pay grade. Um, and it's above anybody's pay grade. I do know that God cares about you and that God cares about your loved one and that God cares about their suffering and God cares about your grief and that in a way that goes far beyond my ability to comprehend, God is in the business of redeeming all things on planet Earth. I know those things to be true. We want to take that now and set that aside because we are, we are not getting into the business of um, telling people to feel guilty when someone they love has passed away and they are wondering if they prayed right. We, we don't do that here. Just in your life, just with you and God, here, here's how this has worked for me, and it's been really exactly what Glenn is describing. God has presented with me with an adventure that he wants me to join him on. We're going to go on an adventure together. This adventure is definitely going to require supernatural provision to work. I don't have the money for it, I don't have the energy for it. I don't have the skill. I don't have the talent. I'm really not qualified to be involved, but nevertheless, we're going on an adventure and he wants me to go. I'm going to have to ask for provision. I'm going to have to seek out ways for this to work. I'm going to have to knock on doors for them to be open. And in my experience, that's true both in my prayer life in terms of asking God to come through, but it's also true in a practical sense that God would like me to seek things and to knock on doors and to ask people. The work that, that we do here, we're constantly asking and seeking and knocking. That's true in our prayer life, but that's then reflected in literally the work that we do. I'm constantly asking people to do things. I'm constantly seeking new ways to approach problems. I'm constantly pounding on doors uh, and insisting that people open them. And I am expecting that God will meet me in the midst of that process, that, that God will act in a supernatural way where those doors do open and where uh, those needs are met. Dude, it sounds weird, and, and it, it would be easy to, to mistake this for, you know— um, uh, some some sort of magical thinking, really. All I can tell you is I've been doing this a long time. I have seen God open doors that should not be open. Um, and I've seen God... Amen to that. I've seen God provide things where there is no earthly way this should have worked out. Uh, I've, I've seen God come through in ways that I don't have any explanation for other than, than a miracle. But to go back to what both Lee and Glenn were describing, all of that is existing in the context of a broader relationship where God is teaching me things and God is showing me things and we're going on an adventure together and God is changing my desires and teaching me to value new things and wanting me to ask him for those things and then showing me how he intends to fulfill those desires and to make this whole adventure possible. Last point. Whenever we try to reduce prayer to a magic spell, we are getting a lot wrong. I mean, a lot, a lot. But one of the key things that we're getting wrong is we're missing out on the richness that God is offering us. God is offering us an adventure and a relationship and a back and forth and a dialogue and um, 
Yeah, and, and, and a relationship. He wants this to be a thing that we are living and doing together. A magic spell can't do that. Um, as, as, as Glenn started, if God just gave you everything you asked for, maybe you'd have a lot of cool stuff, but you would miss out on that depth of intimacy in that relationship. And that is the treasure that we should all truly be seeking. That's absolutely right. That is all really amazing stuff. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We have a song this week. We actually took out this song about a month ago, but we have news. This song is called A Tiny Little Start. It's a little help from the pool house guru, Jed, and our friend Ryan Went from Chicago Tiny House put this song together. It is now available on your iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you download or stream music online. And the proceeds go to help our friends at Chicago Tiny House go to come up with really amazing and smart solutions fighting homelessness in the city of Chicago. So if you're interested, you can click on the link in the episode description to where you can find that song and take out that. Thanks for, remember, thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Here's an idea for a Christian movie. Man and woman get coffee and no prostitution involved. <laughs> so welcome to Thank you.